And welcome to episode 375 of the Siren Studs Podcast. I'm Kurt, joined once again this week by my quirky co-hosts, Peter and Jake. That's right, Kurt. As we uh, as we're ready to brave uh, the impending maelstrom, uh, we're coming at you with the gumball that you find in other foods edition of the cast. Perhaps the worst iteration of gum uh, known on this planet. That's right. You'll find them at the bottom of ice creams. Uh, Sometimes. In lollipops. Sometimes they're supposed to be on the bottom of your ice cream, and they're not. That's true. I almost... The ice cream truck came by work the other day, and uh, I forgot that that's what happened. Um, so I should have gotten that typhoon again. <laughs> Did you say you had um, it's for, you had, you had gum, gum in your uh, ice cream? Yes, it's, ne- it's called yeah. Typhoon, and it's an, it's an Italian ice, uh, lemon and blue raspberry swirl with a little gumball at the bottom. It's like a, it's like a little cone, and there's just a little... Jake, why are you surprised by this? Like, every character popsicle yeah. that's ever been made I has forgot gumballs. Those fucking Have you ever eyes. seen the backside of one yeah. of those? One of my coworkers got, like, the Bubbles Powerpuff Girl one and turned it around, and the eyes don't go all the way through. So there's just black voids on the backside <laughs> of the ice cream bar. I'm like, that's that's so disturbing. <laughs> but yeah, that's, no, that's horrific. Um, I don't know what they what hellish thing what what hellish ingredients they use to make the gumballs that you find in other candy. I think it's mostly fine. Like the gum in the middle of a blow pop yeah. is usually okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just the fact that when yeah. you freeze gum. Like you do in a popsicle, it's not good for the gum. The gum no, don't do the stops. gum thing anymore. It says I'm not gonna gum my my materials. We're gonna break down inconsistently in your mouth, and you're gonna question. Ooh, that was loud. Oh, you got some <laughs> loud ass thunderclap right outside. Yeah, my no, my visibility. Window. So we are currently experiencing a thunderstorm. We're gonna see. We're we're going for the long shot challenge. <laughs> See how much of this gas we can do. In the last 30 seconds, my visibility has dropped from a mile to 500 feet. <laughs> it is it is an absolute wall. I'm in Silent Hill, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, we're in so- Silent Hill. Come at you live. <laughs> or maybe from the back. Uh, you know, Jake, you know where yeah, we're from. We're, I we're coming we're at from. you. Dark, stormy, cloudy, sometimes really hot. Cause I'm, it's it's boiling lava hot over here. That's what the weather app said. Uh, the mind of Wes Anderson. <laughs> We're coming in you, coming at you, coming in you and at you from the mind of Wes Anderson. Um, it's a it's a dank place up here, uh, both in terms of description and perfect place <laughs> perfect to place come. to come. <laughs> Everybody loves coming here. I'm gonna come, even though Kamala said do not come. Uh, and of course, I mean, I don't. You know what? I I get it, but I also don't get it. You ever you ever heard the the the? Yeah. Mama told me not to come. Donald right, Donald saying I'm and gonna come. <laughs> and yes. like, and okay. then Mamala okay. in a completely unrelated clip said, "Do not come." And then you said, "Yes, mommy." Yes, Mamala. 
And uh, yeah, anyways, that I don't that has nothing to do with Wes Anderson, uh, but we saw. I, who knows? It could. I can't wait for Wes Anderson. We tripped and fell, thriller. and yeah, we we tripped and fell on that transition and landed in Trey Watch. Yeah, trailer review and roundup segment. Good that we're already. We here. got a schedule. We got to keep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We we got a we got a pace because we have how many trailers Fucking came out this week? Every now trailer. we have a. We've got a ceiling of five we, that we're keeping on. That's going to. I don't even think that's going to break half of what we got I mean, got I here. think we're all in agreement um, on which ones should and should not be uh, looked at. Um, we'll, we'll yeah. definitely talk about Love at First Sight. <laughs> well, that was the one that Kristen was like, do I know what's going to happen? Yes. Am I going to watch it? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you are, because you're basic as fuck. It's okay. We're going to watch it together, and I'm going to sit on my phone and scroll through Twitter. Um. Yeah, <laughs> love at first sight. It's a love story. Um, it, it, that's that's it. I, I don't. I don't really know. The meet cute on a plane. She loses number. Must go find boy. I don't know. Twist is. What if we did the rom com? Squeezed it into ten minutes, and then had the second act take yeah. an hour. A uh, much more exciting movie uh, to go on, and it only took. Um, a third of the time, uh, a Gojira minus one. These sequ- these sequels are getting so this out of is, hand. This is the the best fucking. Um, I, I, I'm assuming this is a prequel. Uh, I thought it was a. Um, I mean, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so Godzilla Zero is the movie that this is a qual of pre or otherwise, um, and. The fact that they call the Godzilla Zilla minus one is perfect. And this trailer is perfect because it doesn't show you shit except the fact that Godzilla is going to be doing Godzilla things. And that's all you need to show to sell this movie. Godzilla things in post-war Japan. So they're going to make yes. they're going to make the uh, the nuclear allegory. Yeah. Again. So I've always. Well, that's kind of central uh, to Godzilla. I, I used to. In my opinion. So Jake have very small tiny brain and uh i like see big monster go crash uh so godzilla movie great for me however somebody said well godzilla movie have more meaning behind just big monster um and it really comes through in the japanese made ones um where they start Mm -hmm. doing they start uh being like allegories to how bad the government has been with japan's consistent natural disasters and Godzilla is that natural disaster and how they're like fumbling around. So Shin Godzilla was the one of the more recent soul Godzilla movies that came out that was like, yeah, we're going to really play into that a bit. And I think this is probably going to be another one like that where it's like, I think it's the same people. Uh, let me see. Did, um, same director. Yeah. Will we, I hope we get the story of the guy who Production escapes company or whatever. Uh, destruction by the one Godzilla, only to get to go to Tokyo and get attacked by Godzilla uh, twenty years later. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's Godzilla minus one. Yeah, it's it's short and sweet. I love a good trailer like that. Uh, <laughs> to the point. On the other side of that spectrum, we have Blue Beetle trailer oh, two. Yeah. 
uh, which showed too much. So I, much. You pretty much, I got the sense of what this whole movie was going to be from this uh, very long trailer. And uh, yeah, it. Uh, I'm, I'm not as excited about it. You know, and I'm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not that I was really excited to begin with. I I, thought I had some intrigue, but it looks like it's going to be very derivative of Iron mm. Man. And Yeah, this is a very safe starting out kind of um uh film if you know, if we're counting this as his as James Gunn's first like bi- I, I don't know, big big foray into like I don't know cuz he's not he was already he already did the Suicide Squad. Right, so that's a mainstream DC cinematic universe movie, but this is one about, I guess, this is the first one about a hero. This is the way. first original character in the DCU. So I'm, yeah. I'm wondering how much James Gunn's um, involvement is really gonna affect this movie, uh, just because this movie's probably been in the bulk of progress. Well before James Gunn came on, I think this is the one he's had the most influence on. I believe. I believe this is like he looks at it as this is his first movie <sighs> in the. Well, the, the only the reason why DCU. I say that is because it, you know if it was made, you know, even if he came in part way through, he came in right around the time, if not uh, right as the writer strike was going on or started. So yeah, in terms of, like rewrites and how much major effects they can do. I think your time. When did he actually join off. up? I want. I, I. I'm not. I thought it was after. Like Guardians of Galaxy three was wrapping up. So the press release is from October twenty or six twenty twenty two. Okay. Okay. So a good um, nine months before the release of this. But the writer strike has been going on for at least two months. Are we working on a third, third, third mm-hmm. second or third month? Um, which we'll have more to say about that later after today's news. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it could be. I know this is definitely the one that he's like, yeah, this is going to be in the gun verse. Um, <laughs> is there a uh, the is there a name for it? Has they have they like? I'm calling it the Gers. The Gunnerverse, but even shorter. Okay, yeah. So they did. They assumed their positions as um, uh, creative heads for DC Films um, okay. November first, November first of last year. Okay, so that was wow. That was yeah. that's pretty early then. Okay, all right. I thought it was more. I thought he had announced it a little bit later than that, but um, yeah, it, we'll see if he. Uh, I I like to see like more background information to see like what he actually did to kind of influence it, but um, maybe like tonally, and I think he's just like yeah. the he's yeah. the fixer guy, right? He's the Kevin Feige of yeah. DC now, I think. Um, but I mean, I, I this, this is, but this I just watched this trailer while we were uh, looking this over because I I uh, wrongly assumed that seeing the last trailer would. It would be mostly the yeah, same me stuff. Too. <laughs> um, no, this is this is like this is in one of the top the top echelon of show the entire movie. 
yeah, it it is it is gratuitous in how much it shows, and I think the movie's like I don't feel I know I make this joke a lot, but like I honestly don't feel like I need to go see this movie anymore because I I've, yeah I've got it okay I've I've seen I've got the gist, <laughs> and it really does seem like this movie has almost no hook. Like the only hook is that you know, which is the Blue Beetle character, is that. The, his superpowers are actively trying to, um, like kill other, you know, be as violent as possible, kind of like Venom, but but not as, uh, I don't know, engaging. Because <laughs> it's still not he's as, still in uh, some yeah, control I mean, over, like the Blue Beetle. It's just right. like an AI, and and it's and it's obvious by the end of the movie that they're going to be in lockstep. Yeah, and they they show that developing in the trailer. It's just. Like yeah, I feel like the movie will be okay. Like I don't think the movie is gonna be sure. bad necessarily, but you're in a position now where Flash did not do super well at the box office, um, and that had a lot of your heavier hitters in terms of characters and actors in it. Mm-hmm. So you gotta like get people wanting to see Blue Beetle. And releasing a three-minute trailer with basically a condensed version of the movie in it is not the best way to get people out to the theater to see your movie. I, yeah, unless they're unless they're really, I mean, it almost feel I, I could see them, uh, you know, just advertising just to the the most broad demographic, just like. The just getting butts in seats. I mean, which that's every movie. No one's gonna no like the the general audience person is not gonna go see Blue fucking Beetle. Yeah, but be maybe real. that's why they released like a longer extended trailer to 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 jazz up more hype. Um, there's also more clips that they can pull from this. But like, this isn't gonna play on TV. Someone has to seek out no, this trailer. I, I'm, wonder, I'm wondering where yeah. these are going to be playing. I mean, well, this is probably going to be the new one in theaters, maybe. Maybe, maybe it's in theaters. Maybe theaters, sure, maybe but... um, they can pull clips from this now, and and they're going to show the granny with the laser gatling gun in all the TV trailers because there might be a condensed version of this for TV. There might be condensed versions of this and for for sports games. Um, you know, now that there's a restriction on how much the actors can do promotion now that there's going to be a strike looming. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that, that cuts all ties, all the stars, everybody from this, they can't go out and publicize this movie. So they got to now rely on footage that they have of this movie to sell it and pass recordings of the actors and actresses. Um, We'll see if that actually plays major importance into how much they advertise it, how little they advertise it, if it changes at all. Um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate that they, I, but I feel like they had to show it. I don't know. I don't know why. I feel like they got to put their their cards out there because the Flash and the state of DC is really, really circling the the toilet. Um, you know, somebody just posted a quick like, you know, who's got the top box office hits. And it's like night, literally night and day. Like biggest box office flops and biggest mm. box office successors. It's 
all DC as flops, all Marvel as successors. Um, you know, Marvel and, and other stuff, but yeah. uh, and DC commands the flops. And, they gotta le- yeah. and they're trying to lean on this. When um, I learned, I, I think Kurt and I talked about this uh, earlier today, maybe. Um, James Gunn is going to be directing the next season of like Doom Patrol. <clears throat> Yeah, actually, yeah, you shared that story with us this morning. Oh, he's yeah, he's reviving, he's bringing it back. Like the the second part of the fourth season or whatever is going to air. He's not sure quite when, but you know, right. and that's the one that's the one I'm excited about of of these two. I don't know if it's uh, you know I look back and I think of like who's who's directed, who's behind some of the the great works uh, of superherodom. <laughs> And I, I keep on going back to like the Dark Knight, and who did was was that a that was that was Christopher Nolan? Nolan. Was the, I don't want to sound mm-hmm. like a dumbass and get that mixed up with like the uh, a lead actor, but yeah. So we had Nolan do the Dark Knight, and if you look back at it, that I mean that movie was not only written well, had a grounded plot, but it was directed masterfully. I think that's what some of these movies need a little bit more of instead of these mass produced, you know, get a cheap director, do it quick and dirty, get it out the door, super derivative. Um, it's the it's the consequence of the yeah. cinematic universe model. Like I when we talked about when we did our end game review and we kind of talked about um you know the the uh, broader impact of the MCU's success. And like we, we recognized and we applauded that it was a tremendous achievement that yeah. they were able to pull this off. Um, but they kept yeah. going with it. And, you know, the broader consequence of that is now everyone is trying Hollywood's a copycat industry. Everyone's trying to get in on that well, cinematic universe yeah. money and they've tried it with literally anything. Y'all remember the Dark Universe? Yeah, it's fucking yeah. wild. Yes. I mean, they <laughs> they really try to stretch it. It's. I mean, they're doing it with. That's wild to think that that's like a almost <clears throat> a decade, half a decade old at this point. More I mean, than half they're a doing decade, it with yeah. Transformers and GI Joe. Apparently, yeah, you know, there's still you know a lot to yeah. be said for that, but they're trying to do that. And um, uh, you know, I, I look back at. You know, when Disney Plus came out and Marvel was putting all their shit up there and they were touting that they're going to have a new piece of Marvel or Star Wars every single week. Every single week you have something to look forward on a Friday or a Wednesday. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was a mix of like excitement and content overload uh, until they finally pushed back a lot of the dates. And, and, and now I'm regretting like ever applauding that effort because of the lack of quality and yeah. the state of Hollywood that, that we're seeing because of that. Um, I, you know, I had a feeling that like for as nice an achievement that Endgame was going to be the net negative effect that it would have on movies and just that everyone's going to try to copy that blueprint was going to last a lot longer and kind of like yeah. make that Copy the legacy it or try of this to jump movie. It, you know, and, and trying to jump it with like a million kings and trying to do another 
Thanos, something that's honestly might be unrecreatable. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, yeah, you, it's not going to be because you, you laid a really good foundation and you, you told a very meticulously manicured story for the most part. And you, yeah. you ended that story. And it's the it's the anime arc problem. You have to you beat the big bad. Now you have to move on to the next arc. Yeah, you have to. You also have to call up the main characters, and there's there's always somebody more powerful. And now you have a slew of superheroes that could probably squish Iron Man. uh, You know where he was the pinnacle of of achievement. Um, But yeah, it's uh, and you're not really developing these characters beyond, Oh, they're, well, that's, that's a problem that the, as good as I say, the Snyder cut was the justice league movie. You know, he put, he put uh dark side in there and for as cool as he looked and a good premise as it was, I didn't, nobody gave a fuck because it's like we had how many years with Thanos slowly collecting the stones, slowly looming in the background and, controlling some of the puppet strings and then you just plop this on us like uh like yeah. seven years right yeah avengers the original yeah. one came out in 2012 and that was his first yep yep first, first time tease. they teased him and he went through iterations he changed actors you know it didn't have to be it yep. didn't have to be jonathan majors every every step of the way you could have had variants that's what the comics did the comics we've been over this mm-hmm. so i'm not going to rehash it but yeah yeah we've we've all gone through this i um, oh, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. I I knew that last <laughs> Yeah. All right. We'll just we'll we'll cleanse We're, the palate with a with a trailer that I'm of a movie that I'm sure Peter is looking very forward to as as am I. Yep. And that's the Outlaw Johnny Black, which is Michael Jai White and the Black Dynamite crew at again yeah. in a Western setting. Absolutely. Uh, this isn't so. Instead of um. I was wondering for a moment where there's going to be like another kind of send up of of black exploitation films, um, but nope, nope. This nope. is pretty just pretty its straight own westerns. Thing, which I'm glad this feels like. I don't know this. We we always talk about the the regular comedy, right? Or the yeah, like the classic kind of comedy. This feels like it's gonna be that. Yeah, I I think so too, and I hope it does well. Um, Black Dynamite, if you've never seen it, is a fantastic movie. Uh, my one concern with this movie is that they're going to have to kind of hold back a little bit mm-hmm. on the kind of humor that they did in Black Dynamite because of, you know, the climate we're in. Maybe. Yeah. I, yeah, I hope the, you know what, we... I hope not, obviously. Yeah. Like, I hope they have the their best jokes are not in this trailer, which I don't think they are, because there wasn't a lot of, like, not a lot of jokes in this trailer. There are a couple. And I think, I think, I hope they they did this right. I Only they know until the movie's out <laughs> um, whether they decide to lead with their big jokes in the trailer or just give you that taste, which what they showed was was pretty funny. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very I'm very excited for this, um, and uh, I'm I'm don't ready have to wait too terribly to long. Michael Jai White's Gun Fu. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm so excited to see. 
quick draw slaps. Yeah. It, it looks really fun. So just, I I hope I you know I I I won't I shouldn't say I hope I wonder if they're going to kind of do some of the meta humor that they did in Black Dynamite with like fake production gaffes and stuff. Maybe. Um, Regard. I think that might be going to the well. A little too much, yeah. On that, but they did it so well in Black Dynamite. I'm, I'm, I think one of the things I'm also really glad about is that, like, it's this is like a stable of actors and people who who've done a lot of projects together because I think they're all also on the Black Dynamite Adult Swim animated show. Probably like the whole crop here, so it makes me think that these guys are just they, you know. It's kind of it's kind of like the John Waters crew, or the Quentin Tarantino <laughs> crew, where they're all just yeah. they're all just in. They know each other. They always work with mm-hmm. each other, and you'll get a consistent set of kind of dynamics uh, each time in every movie. I that's what I'm hoping, yeah. and uh, it's it's looking promising. Apparently, I want to talk about this. Apparently, um, everyone in the comments is like, "Oh, I've been waiting five years for this. I've been waiting 10, 15 years." And I'm like, I just think there could have been a world where I where we stumbled upon this uh, like years ago, yeah. and we could have you'd be like, oh, they're gonna come out with another movie, and we could have been sitting on this and like hoping and waiting for five years and being like unfulfilled, but instead we just get to turn on trailers one day and say, oh my yeah. god, they're coming out with another one. <laughs> yeah. Which ignorance is truly bliss. This is this is the beautiful. This is a little slice of the good timeline. <laughs> yeah, just a little little trickle. Yep. Um, the best timeline, in fact, as the retirement plan. Yep. Uh, is is coming out twenty twenty three? No date attached to it, but you had me at Nick Cage and Ron Perlman so in the same I've, movie. Has <laughs> Nick Cage? been doing more recently it feels like he has he's he's going through a bit of a rena- he's paid oh. off all his bad debts so he doesn't have to take a million uh yeah. like shitty movies now he can do he can do fun products I, again. I was just i was telling chris and i'm like it, it it's starting it not yet but it's starting to scare me that he might be doing a pulling a bruce willis but <laughs> uh like I don't know, he if he's been doing that, he's been doing that since the mid two thousands. His his Bruce Willis geezer teaser movie days, I think, yeah. are are what's behind him. He's he's kind of settled settled some some of the financial obligations with doing a bunch of those, yeah. you know, straight to red box I, movies. I like this as it almost feels like the way he's playing in this movie, it feels like a send up of dad revenge movies. And oh, this is totally teaser. a parody of like the Taken Dad Revenge movie type thing. Like this is this is I I think this is a well crafted parody of every Liam Neeson movie that's come out in the past ten years. Yeah, because um, you know Dick Cage embodies the energy of like an unhinged, ticked off old man a lot better <laughs> than a lot of these other guys who are trying to like act like they're still that's holding who he on to their is youth. now. Nick Cage has the youthful spirit, so he can just be free to be a curmudgeonly old man who is also a world-class assassin. And he's played an old man in a lot of it. Yeah, like he, he Nick Cage is not afraid to 
to play his age because you know he's played an old man in a lot of movies he's done so recently. i just i was curious about uh nicholas cage's like upcoming movies apparently there is in development or what is it labeled as uh pre-production a sequel to lord of war which that was one of his better interesting ones is that like the yeah, sequel that was, to Lord huh. of the Rings, except this one, instead of the two towers, it's the twin no, it's, towers? No, Lord of War is about that yeah. Russian arms dealer that we traded Brittany yeah. Griner for. So uh, yeah. he is actually going to be uh, doing it with Bill Skarsgård. And I guess Bill Skarsgård, uh, famous for playing the clown okay. in It, if anyone's a clown, uh, I think uh, Bill's supposed to be his son, Anton. So he's trying to outdo him. Son of War. I mean, good, good for Nick Kate getting yeah. back into there. Yeah. Um. Oh, Jared Leto is also speaking in there. of. Oh, oh no, that's in the original. Sorry. The original Lord of War. Uh, Okay. Okay. Now I see that. Um. Yeah. I guess speaking of uh, see uh, franchise entries, no one asked for. Uh, I think our our big highlight. Shout out to Corner Office. That looks like fun. John Hamm, always a treat. Um, yeah. But we got to talk about okay. Wonka. Uh, we got to talk about yeah. how Willie became Wonka. So, Wonka. <laughs> um, there's a lot of hate on this because um, I think a lot of people are fearing it's going to be just as bad as the Johnny Depp one. And it might be. It might be. You know, uh, I feel like Willie Wonka is just one of those roles you can never cast right because Gene Wilder had such an iconic role and personified that so much that like Willy Wonka and Gene Wilder are mm. synonymous. So when you try to put your own spin on it, as actors kind of do, um, and Johnny Depp did, you kind of they feel like they're dancing on the grave of what everything Gene Wilder did, which is not necessarily the case, but. Maybe in some cases it is. Um, Timothy Chalamet seems fine as a young Wonka. I, I, yeah, I, I think you could do worse. I think he needs to bring. His, he's got. I've got flickers. Uh, you know, tr- shavings. You know, truffle shavings of his own energy. Um, but I want him. It's, I want more. I want more. Give me more whim, whimsy. Like. It took it took me until about halfway through this trailer when they dropped the Paddington line, where I'm like, "Oh, this is like, yeah, of course this is supposed to be like a kids movie with whimsy and and magic," because uh, it didn't feel like that until like the middle of it, because it feel you know what it feels like, um, uh, it feels like the the uh, pre the hot the Harry Potter prequel, the you know Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. Which that one was all like, oh, it's it's England and it's like grim and oh, and although it, wait no, it's in America, whatever. It just feels like that kind of uh, movie visually, like that's the that's the signals it's given off, and then some of the dialogue's great, and it's like, oh, okay, that's fun. And then Timothy Chalamet doesn't quite hit some of his lines right, and I'm like, I don't know. And then we get yeah, the his hu- delivery is kind of weird in some of them. <laughs> The Yumpa Loopa. Yeah, that I did not enjoy that. Um, yeah, I Kristen's immediate thought was like, "Oh my god, what are the um, what are the what are small tiny people 
dwarves gonna gonna say about this and i'm like well maybe they have no right to say anything because hugh is a very tiny oompa loompa uh so uh, he's smaller than little people so maybe that's how they get around it all right yeah i feel like that's that's a pretty creative way to go is just to make them like more explicitly fantastical uh peoples instead of like almost looking like a (laughs) not quite a minority because the and and you know there's a lot of a lot of lot to say about the source material um but the, the the source material does describe them as like pygmy people from africa well, yeah they weren't i don't even think they were oompa loompas i think they were just they were like the oompa loompa tribe pygmies. it was from the pygmy yeah. like area so they were smaller because they were like the pygmies but uh the book was like dad they're just black people that he enslaved uh, which is like <laughs> yeah. oh okay so when the movie came out at least they put that to rest by making them orange um and yeah. this movie's think... expanding on that by making them smaller. And all one person still, maybe? I, oh. I don't know. It's it's there's a recipe there's a recipe for a good movie and don't I think the nineteen seventy one one um was really the the only one that just hit it right <sighs> on the head. Uh the one since have They've tried to get some of that part, like, you know, the 2005 one, do, like, the weird, dark, sinister undertones of the book. Which, you know, when Willy Wonka and the Chocolate, or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, what was it called? Charlie and the, the Chocolate Or the first Factory, one yeah. that came out? So No, it was Willy Wonka. The 1971 okay. was Willy Wonka, the 2005 The one, Willy Charlie Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Factory, when that came out, that was, like, a under-the-radar, I think it was a German, like, movie like they shot it in germany or some of that um and that yeah. i think was not a success at the time and i don't know if they got enough from residuals to end up making it worthwhile it sure seems like it with the amount of times i feel like it's replayed but um well, maybe that'll happen to johnny depp's one maybe in 20 years when we when the shock of it all wears off. I don't know about that this one, This one's more down to earth, I feel like, where I think it could be received better. And the Tim Burton one was like, let's take the Wonka meter and scale, the scale it up in a fucking bizarre way. Um, and that didn't, wasn't received. going to make Charlie's house look like a fucking trapezoid. <laughs> so... That's, uh, cur- that's what he we're does. We're going to put the Tim Burton curly hills everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Oy. Ah. Um, yeah. Not, we, d- we didn't need it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Doesn't, Tim doesn't need to happen. People pl- making plenty, yeah, people making plenty of, uh, the chocolate must flow. Cocoa must flow. Yeah, like was the spice money not not enough? You had to you had to dip into some chocolate money. Yeah. As long as he doesn't go uh, Nestle mm-hmm. with it, we'll be fine. All right, let's uh, yeah. let's wrap that up. Let's put that to bed, and let's go on to the follow up, where we'll talk about how some of the movies we look at during Trey Watch do at the box office. And for weekend 27, July 7th through the 9th, uh, 
the box office broke thusly. Insidious, the red door opened at number one uh, with $33 million in just 3,100 theaters in its opening. Uh, displacing Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which dropped like a ton of bricks, uh, down 54.6%, 27.42 million for that. Uh, its worldwide take has gone up to 258 million, and I've heard that uh, Disney has called this movie a $300 million investment. So uh, it hasn't even broken even yet, hey, and might hey, not. Yeah, boys, well, they're they're getting close to cool. it. It, it. It's surprising that it's um, uh, you know, about fifty percent international. That's a or, so uh, yeah, it is a bigger domestic movie. I mean, it's a pretty. It was part of that time when you know those those classic uh, American blockbusters really made their way around the world. And we're yeah. kind of everywhere in the pop culture. Yeah, I just figured it'd be maybe a bigger, um, bigger success internationally, but, um, mm. but I guess I guess it's more a stickler on uh, Americana. Yeah, kind of in the same way that you know when you say superhero around the world, they think of Superman, Batman, Spider Man. I feel like when you say big Hollywood movie, they think of Titanic, Indiana Jones, Terminator, like Predator. Yeah. Even or aliens, and like or like Rocky, you know, it's like those kind of movies yeah. that were just just in everyone's heads. All, I'm all checking the, time. the splits now. Um, I'm, I'm now focused, wired in on that. Um, Star Wars, six doing the splits. The Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, fifty-six domestic, forty-four international. I figured that would have had a more uh, international um, basis, but then you look at. Makes no sense because yeah. then you look at Transformers: Rise of the Beasts, and you're like 36 percent domestic, 63 percent international. Is this like a huge hit in like China? Was this? It probably I, yeah, yeah, probably just brought in a little more money. Well, I mean, it could be less that it's a huge hit over there, and more that the American audience is more apathetic towards it. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Those always seem like such Americentric movies. Some sometimes that plays overseas. Um, hot on its heels, and it's I guess first yeah. full weekend open. Yeah, I thought it or, was like a special release, like a one shot. Yeah, I thought it was a one day only sort of thing. But Sound of Freedom finds itself in in third with. million dollars in just 2,800 theaters. So, did really well per theater. From Angel Studios, uh, a movie that's had such bizarre buzz around it that we just had to shine the spotlight on it. Technically released on July 4th. July 4th, right? But yeah, now they're calling it, I guess, wide release. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe wide release. So, Sound of Freedom has the wildest, like, um, critical reception I've ever seen. Yeah. 75% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. 100% audience score. Wait, what audience score? 100. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) 
10,000 plus verified ratings. So, you know, they do, there is selection bias there because they'll weed out negative reviews. But still, that that's pretty, I don't think I've seen that before. Um, Metacritic, Metascore, 43. User score, 7.8. Just side note, the, um, the star, Jim Caviezel. Uh, yeah. best known for his role as Jesus in Passion of the Christ. Just wanted to. I saw that too. Just wanted to lob that one out there for you. I mean, from Angel Studios, what else yeah. would you expect? I wouldn't be surprised um, if he was just Jesus in this. Also, uh, he sure as hell seems like we it. We got Jesus because yeah. there's a banger quote from the trailer and the movie that is just Chef's kiss, and I'll get to it in the in the reviews. Perfect. He also was in the Thin Red Line. Yeah, he's he's done a lot of this kind of movie. Typecast himself. I, you know, I think he's just your go-to Christian actor. (laughs) Good, good on him. Um, You know, we need Hollywood needs more of that. So anyway, Sound of Freedom also has an eight point five out of ten on IMDb. But as we all know, the real the real story is in the IMDb user reviews, which, boy, oh boy, did I ever have a hard time picking just two because I was, I was through the looking glass here. This was a very different kind of person coming out in the 10-star reviews than I normally see. Normally, this kind of person be chilling down in the one-star reviews for Jake, but we've entered the mirror dimension. Uh, and it's populated by people like Heather, uh, 51327, who had this to say about The Sound of Freedom. 10 out of 10 review. Fight darkness with light and go see this movie! Two exclamation marks. Uh, submitted the 25th of May of 2023, so she, she okay. must have seen this at the festival. Uh, most people don't want to admit that there are evil forces in the world. It's much easier to look the other way and hide our heads in the sand. But ignorance does nothing to fight evil. Ignorance allows evil to grow. Only light can dispel darkness. (laughs) This film took five years to make its way to theaters. Why? Two question marks. Because child sex trafficking produces $150 billion annually. (laughs) Citation needed. Child sex trafficking lobby. Stop this. The powerful child sex traffic. Well, I think some of these people genuinely believe there is a child sex trafficking okay. lobby and, and do not think that it's already do they, do illegal. They claim, <laughs> yeah. Do they claim that profit? Is that a taxable income? <laughs> it's, a, it's a big old charitable donation to a 501c3. Yeah. Uh, the tradition... The traditional film industry didn't want this film to see the light of day because of that very reason. Thank you, Angel Studios, for seeing Sound of Freedom through to completion. Two exclamation points. Despite covering an incredibly heavy subject, this film does an amazing job of shining light into the darkness in a way that leaves you filled with hope and desire to help. Jim Caviezel is fantastic as always, and the cinematography, take a drink, is phenomenal. 
the sound of freedom is truly the Uncle Tom's cabin of our generation. Please go see it and spread the word. Millions of enslaved children without voices need your help. 217 out of 297 found that helpful. Holy oh. shit. And it was that sort of shit for miles Dude, and miles. I'm 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 curious of the, the ten out of tens now, so I'm I'm scrolling. because uh, I she can't I, I have to. Oh man, I just the, the white unmarked van drove him and said, Hey, we got weird people reviews. There's weird shit going on up here. I man, I got <laughs> don't go don't go to the second star rating. A secondary star rating. <laughs> I'm not gonna even. I'm not gonna even comment because I, I don't want to get into it. You want my review? Go get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Take a money clip. So I'm gonna. <laughs> you run the other way. I'm gonna do a a, a prologue to this. Uh, one out of ten. Don't believe the hype. From our favorite uh, commenter or reviewer. Uh, we. I've never listened. I've never read something from him. But don't believe everything. That's his name. And I'm like, okay, this guy's got to be a, a bit of a review hog. Um, Just a contrarian it, no. reviewer. <laughs> Just this. And uh, he also said uh, the Harry and Meghan Netflix movie, A Stingy Look at the Royals, which he gave. Oh, interesting. Uh, which he gave them a one out of ten as well. So he's just a. Uh, don't. He's starting his career as a negative now. Yeah. Don't believe the hype. All right. Tell me. The subject of modern day slavers is not discussed enough, and it's great that it's becoming more known. And anything that brings light to it, that is good. But don't assume this movie is based on fact or reality. While it's not well made, the subject slash hero of it, well, do a deep dive before assuming he's the hero he's portrayed as. There are, there, there, oh, fuck. There probably is a reason CPAC started their own anti-trafficking arm instead of relying on our. The above aside, this is serviceable, not so well-made film, but if you can take the subject matter, you should check it out when it's streaming. Even if it were total fiction... It is not total fiction, sadly. It would not be a film worthy of your attention. 74 out of 348 found that helpful. Low percentage on that one. What? All right, Jake. That's that's actually kind of novel because I want to say, what? how is that a one-star review? I don't know because he kind of <laughs> enjoyed it. Like you said, go well, he, see yeah, it. Just, yeah. he, was, he was saying, think, go watch yeah. it. Just don't pay for it um, and, and look up like... He's just saying it's it's like based on a true story and like yeah like the guy is not like a hundred percent the guy he's portraying, which yeah apparently there's a lot of like inconsistencies with it. Oh yeah, very very dramatized and uh, and some of these middling ones talk about that. Uh, would you believe well, I had a hard time a lot finding a middle of the road review on this movie? I I mean I can think of a few people that would probably have given you one. <laughs> but yes, I would imagine it'd be fairly difficult. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, we have this five out of ten from Leopardson. Um, five out of ten. Why is this movie being astroturfed with ten star reviews? Take a drink. 
Um, I guess warning spoilers. Uh, this is a run-of-the-mill movie about a subject that seems to be on everyone's mind these days. Not great, not too terrible, but not deserving of the saccharine praise that it seems to be getting over the last week or so. A dramatization that doesn't really leave too much of an impact post-credits, as many would have you believe. Uh, overall, this movie feels like a lifetime film with a slightly bigger production budget. Uh, Caviezel gives a typical performance, as does Sorvino. Uh, I wouldn't waste the price of a ticket to go see this, though, as it feels much like the typical movie of the week fodder that we used to get all the time on network television. Uh, 102 out of 243 found that helpful. Mm, there, are, there are some that prefer the more nuanced take. Uh, Kaylin CZY, which I'm assuming stands for crazy. How many vowels are uh, in Kaylin, and how many Ys? <laughs> K a y l y n n c z y. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's the good stuff. Hit me with, with the whitest name of all time. She's not one for the nuance tank. Ten out of ten. God's children aren't for sale. Double exclamation point. <laughs> I told you these are some good ones. I finally get to sink my teeth get into some crazy. Off of my Jesus spawn. <laughs> I'm so impressed with this film. The acting, absolutely spot on. Jim Caviezel played an excellent Tim Ballard. The film is just the right amount of cringe. Nothing too graphic, even though you know what's implied and what's happening. I knew I was going, I knew this was going to be a hard watch, ellipses, and I was right. No one wants to admit that this is really happening. So it was difficult subject matter, but a must watch. Educate yourselves. Know the signs of someone who's being trafficked. Stand up for what's right. Spread the word. Street smarts. Share this film with everyone you know. This evil simply cannot continue. 47 out of 70 found that helpful. Wowzers. Oh. Okay, well, um, I gotta, I gotta move up to the two out of tens, cause they're f- they're fresh out of ones, um, in in a totally um original, unique, best quote from the movie and trailer, two out of ten, God's children are not for sale. <laughs> By Susan Duggan, seven nine nine two two. Thank you for putting your government name, Susan Duggan. Easy to remember. Track. Remember, this is a two out of ten. So somebody did not like it. Apparently, they said only twenty percent. I don't like this. I feel like they got a flat thump. Thing going the on. title <laughs> of this review says it all. Yet there are godless people out there who have no respect for what God or anyone else holds sacred. Our hero even quotes scripture while talking to a pedophile who doesn't understand when he says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Matthew 18.6 Which is how anyone should feel about trafficking children, but so many out there 
can only think about the money that can come from such a despicable act of selling a child for sex. This movie is so moving. And this man follows what he believes that God is leading him to do, to go in and rescue the children themselves, to leave the safety of his home, to leave his wife and his own children at home, and face the dangers of dealing with these traffickers, bringing them to justice, <laughs> and bringing these children home. The reality... Nice one, Cookie Monster. The reality that this is a true story. True. True. And what is happening 100%. to children all over the world is heartbreaking. I highly recommend this movie to anyone because the word of the need to fight this horrible crime needs to spread to awaken the need to fight for this despicable crime to stop. Definitely bring the tissues. 10 out of 39 found that helpful. Fuck. It was a hidden 10 out of 10. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) We got got. She was trying to put 20 out of 10. Yeah, I, I figured that was maybe a fat-fingered one. Um, I just want to read real quickly the uh, entirety of the quote section on IMDb. Uh, Tim Ballard, God's children are not for sale. Vampiro, when God calls you, you go. That's it. End, end of list. <laughs> I, I, I kind of want to see what Letterboxd has to say about this, because I, I always love Letterboxd. For just the, the most ridiculous takes. Um, we got oh, oh, these are like long ones. Yeah, I'll take I'll I'll do the what, search. Out loud. Why does why does every positive review of this thing read like it's being written by a cult member? Uh, yeah, I wonder. Well, I wonder. how <laughs> how can they? How many people do we want to upset with the show? <laughs> how can they say the biggest rings of sex trafficking are in the U.S. and not then not make it really any part of it in the U.S. A um, couple gems there, but we've got <laughs> from uh, Skyler Moore, presumably Mary Skyler Moore, uh, our four out of ten. But Mary M E M E R R Y is very happy. Um, four out of ten. Trafficking is bad, yes, but that doesn't make the movie good. Sound of Freedom provides a powerful message. It is a hard-to-watch thriller about a loosely true story of Tim Ballard and his experiences with trafficking. A lot of what happens in the movie isn't true, but we all know Hollywood does that a lot. There's hard-to-watch scenes that make your stomach turn. They almost go too far showing stuff on screen, then cut it off just in time. Which begs the question, this stuff could have just been implied. Uh, That aside, this movie is a mess. It's cut up so choppy, like like a play almost. Uh, the transitions aren't smooth. We jump scene to scene for the first hour and a half of the movie. Uh, Sounds very familiar. <laughs> uh, the acting isn't the worst in the world, but the main actor, Jim Caviezel, delivers a poor performance that makes the surrounding cast look like Oscar performances. Uh, they're not. Uh, there's a, a random humor sprinkled in the film that is just so out of place. Uh, there are scenes where they try some sort of fancy cinematography that drags out and feels like they forgot to cut the film. Uh, I guess the best way to describe this movie is similar to a Lifetime movie. Uh, it's choppy, messy, and fabricated a fabricated truth of a movie. 
Uh, the best part is the special message when Caviezel says they basically couldn't get the movie out because of Hollywood, but then they do the Hollywood thing of making Tim Ballard look like a crazy badass by making up the whole climax of the film. Uh, this is a below-average film about a serious topic matter. 48 out of 97. Found it helpful. Well, there you have it. It's basically a Lifetime movie. We had two independent voices say as much, and no one denied it. As far as so, I'm concerned. No, and no one denied it, so it must be true. Um, all right, so that's Sound of Freedom. In fourth, we have Elemental, which falls... Another 17%, bringing in just $10 million. 259 worldwide for that. That was probably another close to $300 million investment for Disney Pixar. So that's not that's not great. You don't want to see that if you're them. Uh, Spider-Verse falls two spots, uh, down 33.1%, bringing in a cool $8 million in its sixth week. Um, were you no, raising your I hand, Jake? Scratching. Sorry, I scratched my <laughs> Okay. <laughs> teacher teacher i was so taken aback by that i was like you don't need to raise your hand dude <laughs> you've never done that before why would you start now <laughs> all right 646 million dollars worldwide for in got across the spiders i almost said it to the spiders guy joyride opens in six 5.8 million doll hairs uh, follows four Chinese American friends. Yes, I I do recall this one. Uh, seven million dollars worldwide. Seven point seven million dollars worldwide. Uh, no hard feelings. Falls another three spots here. Um, five point four million dollars down thirty one point two percent, leaving theaters at a decent clip too. Uh, sixty nine point seven million dollars. Uh, worldwide take. I feel like that's probably. Uh, in the black, uh, I feel like that's probably a mid-budget comedy. Yeah. Uh, Transformers: Rise of the Beasts falls three spots as well, down thirty point six percent, and available to view on ho- at on demand, maybe on Paramount Plus too. I don't know. I don't have that one. <laughs> yeah, somewhere in the streaming verse. I mean, they can't not. So it's so tempting. Just let's make more monies. $409 million worldwide take for Rise of Labies. Uh Little Mermaid finds itself down in ninth, dropping two spots, 31.6%, uh, good for $3.68 million. And still, uh, actually, it was ahead last week, but falling behind it, um, but still managing to claw onto the, the number 10 spot. Uh, yeah. Uh, by picking up eight theaters is Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, we, who saw its who could have seen gross this drop forty eight point three percent, and only bringing in two point eight six million dollars worldwide. Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, has made twenty eight point eight million dollars. Sunk to the bottom of the box office. Um, yeah. Of note, the big old uh, the belly flash flop. left the box office very quick. It is out of the top ten in. Four weeks. Dropped out of a thousand theaters week on week. That is uh that's in that's catastrophic. Yeah, two hundred and sixty two million dollars worldwide uh gross for that. That's it's less than you'd hope for. Yep. Um 
Asteroid City out of the top ten again. Um, Barely in the top yeah. ten. Be on the lookout for Biosphere. I feel like I've saw we saw some trailers about that. Uh, it opened in twenty second for li- <laughs> it's a limited release, but um, it, wait, it, was this the? the it's yeah. the oh right, yes, I remember Biosphere. The, yeah. yeah, so maybe it'll make its way up to the top ten. Who knows? They're buying their time. <laughs> they drew a buy time. It. They're playing um, it. That is the follow up. Cool. And the, sure the is. summer the summer sun has come out. Uh the clouds are breaking. Yeah, breaking we might too. we might yet finish weather boogaloo. Um so perfect time to stay indoors, talk about video games and other games. Yeah. Probably going to be a fairly quick news segment. It's been a fairly quiet week all things considered. Um but I'll lead with the uh, RPG musical chairs that's being played right now uh, as Stray Gods has um, officially announced that it's delaying its release only by a week from August 3rd to August 10th um, to avoid competing with Baldur's Gate 3. Now, those of you who might recall uh, previously, I believe we covered it on the show, Baldur's Gate 3... Uh, also moved its release date <laughs> to avoid overlapping with Starfield. <laughs> it's just the so um, next week I will be very disappointed if I don't see another story about a, another domino to fall. <laughs> yep, uh, it's it's calling a cascade. Um, Speaking of Baldur's Gate, you want I just to... saw this uh, quick okay. one. Um, so a big thing I've been seeing, I, I mean, I'm sure it's been around for a little while, but we saw with Diablo 4, where like um, pre-release was a big thing, and it seems like something that more and more companies are, are pushing for. You do pre-release, it's like a pre-order, uh, but you also get um, you get early access, you get um, uh, some special things to do in the game as well. And Baldur's Gate is doing the same thing. Its uh, launch is on August 3rd, so I'm assuming it's in pre-release within the next week or so. And um, Yeah, early access is is starting. I guess it's like a late beta yeah. period. So uh, Baldur's Gate 3 devs say, don't bother playing early access now because your progress gets wiped in three weeks. When the game, when comes, the game out. comes out, yeah. So, uh, at least they warned, yeah, they them. warned yeah. them. I don't think that was, was like say. what it was with Diablo Four. Uh, so kind of interesting because Diablo Four it was all about like the race to the top, and those who got early access, I think, were. But Diablo Four, like the early access window was shorter was like than days, that, I think, yeah. wasn't it? Not three. Yeah, weeks. it was like you play five days early. Like that's that's more common. Like three weeks. I mean, they probably have yeah. some some server side shit that they're trying to set up. Cause I think this is going to be like divinity Two, where you can, uh, you know, kind of have the drop in, drop out multiplayer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I could see yeah. that being a reason. Could be. Um, and I guess speaking, well, Diablo was, was Diablo blizzard. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Diablo's blizzard. All right. Well, we've got a very thematic, 
uh, set of news then because I I got I guess I'm dropping the big one this week. Um, the FTC v Microsoft uh, preliminary injunction lawsuit stage of the uh, Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard story is over. Yay! Um, they Huzzah. FTC wanted they wanted to fire file an injunction to like keep uh, Microsoft from buying Activision Blizzard um, to to halt the kind of agglomeration of game companies. Um, there is still, I guess, an antitrust case in the works, um, but you can't stop them. You can't. They're not going to stop the acquisition from going through now. Um, oh boy, it's it's our favorite game, Devour and Digest, another game studio. Well, until it has, <laughs> we are. I think we are slowly going to start seeing more. Like I, I feel like this is when the console exclusives is going to come to a head and we're going to start seeing them really start not pulling punches and start making things Mm -hmm. exclusive the only downside for microsoft is that they don't really have exclusives because they have the pc yeah it's all pc um so you know activision blizzard um is is better known well known for having call of duty so that is a fucking Mm -hmm. huge game if they were to make that exclusive to xbox because there is a large swath of people who prefer playing call of duty on console and and controller and and that's right just if that takes it away from maniacs maniacs um. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder how popular Call of Duty still is. Like, if it's like that big a needle mover. Uh, yeah, I don't know still. which Call of Duty we're on now. I think it's a. There is a community out there that is. Oh, I'm sure there's a community is, out there, and I'm sure it's a decent sized community. But I don't know that it's the like every new game sets the best-selling video game of all time level influence that no, it once but was. It, but it's consistent. That's the other thing, is that not only is it you gotta buy the new Call of Duty, you buy the new Call of Duty every year. You know, it's it's it, yeah. unlike, because they yeah. do that that split between Treyarch and in, is it is it still Infinity Ward or is it Sledgehammer? It has. I don't think it's been Treyarch for a long time either. I think it's like Ravensoft. Yeah, Ravensoft. And, well, so I have this. Here's my. Here's the addendum here. So, uh, yes, this the this year's release is Modern Warfare Three, uh, and is being produced by Sledgehammer, Sledgehammer. Games, which which is spun off of Infinity yeah. Ward. Yeah. Um, uh, well, the Infinity Ward people left to make Respawn. Uh, and Sledgehammer Games was cobbled together from the broken remains of Infinity Ward. Yes. Uh, the release, the pre preview release event, was shown off to some random NBA players in Las Vegas. Cool. Cool. Sure. Good. Good promo, boys. I mean, they don't need to promote yeah, this. Yeah. No, shit. this is definitely a game that'll sell itself. I don't. Like it, at at this point, it's just your 
you're buying maybe a new map or two, a remastered map, uh, redesign of guns, and a new new swath of balancing. And 500 gigabytes of yeah, data. Yeah, something that's... Well, and maybe maybe we'll see for, for this that they're better optimized because they don't have to make it for the PlayStation if that's what they end up going with. Or... Ouch. I'm what I'm talking about will not have any impact because they're just going to make them for mobile. That's uh, I can't wait. It looks like till we start hearing. I I can't wait till Call of Duty moves to like a, a season model, like the rest of the the games industry right now, and we get all like the weird COD boomers being like, "I miss it. I it was better back when they were all individual games that you had to buy every year." Wait, it isn't a season model. They oh, still have like seasons, I believe. So, so they're releasing a game every Call- year and also so, updating all of their games every season. They didn't release one in 2022. Oh, okay. I don't think. I think it's been okay. Vanguard for two years. They went to a season model of Vanguard, and now they're releasing a new base game. That's that 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 just sent, you got me stun locked here, kids. Um, a part so, of it is also Warzone. I guess Infinity Ward still exists. In some capacity, um, I'm looking at these. So Treyarch is definitely still in the rotation for COD developers. It's mainly Treyarch and Sledgehammer. Um, Ravensoft did the remasters of Modern Warfare and the Call of Duty Modern Warfare that came out in 2019 was developed by Infinity Ward, but I. I think that might be Infinity Ward in name only. Yeah, speaking of Call of Duty news, the uh, just yesterday, the Season 4 uh, was released for Call of Duty Warzone, or Modern Warfare 2, um, and Call of Duty Warzone Season 4 Reloaded, and they released the skin oh my for God. Homelander. Yes. Yeah, it's the, it's the boys' season yes. of Call of Duty. They're trying to to get on that sweet sweet Fortnite cross oh, yeah. promotion. I can't wait. I like this is, yeah, this is like some weird like, this is those Vought uh, YouTube uh, videos oh, yeah. like, but the next level. Do, I I can't wait until they they do the cross promotion with Halo, and they put Master Chief in your Call of Duty game. Yeah. What what the I, fuck what. I'm at, a, I'm at a loss for words. If if I can get my Halo in my, this is like, hey, you oh got God. you got your Halo in my Call of Duty. <laughs> it's like the old the old uh, commercials. You got your chocolate in my peanut butter. Reese's, yeah, you got peanut butter in my chocolate. No, oh, you got your Call of Duty in my Halo. <laughs> oh, please tell me we have a fucking screenshot of yes, there he is, Homelander. Homelander in the game, they're they were very eager to show off the picture of uh, Black Noir with the gun because that like he kind of looks like like a Call of Duty character or a guy in body What's armor. It's like part? okay, that makes sense, but <laughs> you get to be Homelander running around, laser beaming dudes, spawn camping at at mock speed. Oh yeah, God. well uh, this is certainly something, isn't it? <sighs> What a world we live in. All right. Uh, we, live in we live in a wonderful world. Uh, not quite as full of whimsy as the worlds that 
Wes Anderson creates in his movies, no. such as Asteroid City, which... Uh, oh, wait, sorry, side note. If Wes Anderson did a DC uh, Cinematic Universe movie, which one would he do? Huh. I could see a Wes Anderson Doom Patrol movie. Be pretty good. Um, That's about all I could see. <laughs> about um, oh, who's the uh, who's the Sherlock Holmes monkey? Uh, oh, fuck. All right, I gotta find. I gotta go back to my my base Bobo of DC or something like that. Apes. Booster Gold. I don't know about it, that one. It was like, because Booster Gold's from the future, and all, and like Wes Anderson loves he loves the past. Yeah, but it'd be like future past. It'd be like steampunky. Oh, you're talking like a retro future Booster yeah, Gold. Yeah, that'd be cool. All right, I can see that. Um, I really like retro futurism. I'm sad that we didn't oh. develop. <laughs> okay, lines. the Wes Anderson Detective Chimp movie. Detective Chip. Chimp, Detective Chimp. Yes, remember, remember, this is the, the words Howard the Duck ensure that this oh. movie will never be made. Yeah, nice. But yeah, Detective Chimp was the uh, he drank from I believe the Fountain of Youth and gained immortality and super intelligence. Why not? Who knows? Um, or Doctor Fate? I could see him do a Doctor Fate movie. Yeah, you know, the his his the persona of like the the rich wealthy man and I don't think it could be any movie with like an actual superhero in it. Like if there has to be like a a heroic sequence, I don't but, think that's in this okay, wheelhouse. Okay, here's the twist. You never see him actually do like his normal crazy magic. Like the most you see him do is like the 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 like comical levitation. Where he can like pick up rocks. He's like, see, I am a master of. Oh, and it's like, and it's like it's hanging from a yeah, string. Something like that. I would like that. Um, uh, so, but this is not yeah. that. No, this is Asteroid City. No. Um, okay. Is... You said this was a bad movie. It was, but. <laughs> I stand by that. <laughs> but it made up for it with that, with, with like one scene of the alien. Um, the alien scene was funny, yes. I I like Paul Christen. Like there were there were parts of the movie that were funny. Like it's not without it's not completely without merit. But it's very difficult to watch and very boring. What annoyed me was yeah, you had to pay attention to this movie. Or, uh, no, even yeah. if you pay attention, it's not super well, engaging. Because if you don't pay attention, you get to these like certain points. When they break away, and they start, they're like the the reality sets in, and you're like, wait, what's what, what's happening? Mm. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, Wes Anderson does a lot to make it hard to engage with this movie. Say what you will, you know, you can say what you will about what that says about us as as viewers. All right, that I was like, this movie was very hard to watch. You know what? Make your own, you can make all your assumptions, but um, just a and lot. And it's of not his- like I I haven't enjoyed Wes Anderson movies before yeah. so it's not like I don't like his style I I can be amenable to it this movie was hard yeah. to watch I read some reviews that were basically uh, like they 
they say, they were saying things like, this is Wes Anderson distilled into his true character. You know, he's reaching the apex of his craft. I'm like, that's a very fancy way of saying this is the most Wes Anderson movie that Wes Anderson has ever done. Um, and I feel like we are saying that more and more, like every subsequent release. He's like flanderizing himself. He becomes more and more self-indulgent. And yeah. this movie borders on self-parody yeah. almost. People, in some... just, people haven't told him to stop, which I think is a problem. And, mm-hmm. and, and somebody needs to be like, hey. You get you gotta make a better movie. Like this ain't it. I know this is what you wanted, but that's that's the problem is that it's to you, and uh, nobody daddied up. Somebody had to daddy up and tell him no. Um, yeah, they they're well actually no. You can, there I, so there was one I other thing. Um, so I saw like a behind the scenes thing about the whole train ride, train thing, train scene, like the intro credits where it's following the train and they were saying, Oh, that was the mm-hmm. last thing we shot after we wrapped up. We like spent time in this studio in, in uh, Sweden. And we had this, this train, it was a miniaturized model, but it was big. And we, so that's cool. There's a lot of cool art put into that. Just like this entire movie. Every detail matters. Every detail is meticulously put there. Color palettes are chosen meticulously. Uh, positioning and the way it's shot is very carefully thought of. But does that alone make this a good movie? No. In fact, I think no. actually, um, I'm I'm that I'm very glad you said those things because what this means, and I agree with you, uh, that these are all deliberate choices they made so mm-hmm. if I, oh, I think he made I exactly like the movie he wanted yeah and i'm not i'm not fond of his choices i can point to some specific things that i don't like see when i say cinematography i can actually use my words to describe what's going on uh there are like three or four very distinct things that i just that just made it really hard to to watch this movie one uh the ridiculous color saturation they crank that i, I know it's to contrast oh the the play the one part of the movie is highly saturated. The other has no saturation. I get it. Very smart. Um, so but smart. that doesn't... <laughs> when my eyes hurt watching this movie, uh, then that takes away from it a little bit. Something he does in a lot of his... Well, not a lot. Two, two movies I can think of in particular that annoys the crap out of me every time he does it is changing the aspect ratio. Oh, yeah. Between right, scenes. I, See. And he used it used to be set like when he did in Grand Budapest Hotel, it was okay to a certain extent because it separated the different eras in which the story was being told. It made you know there was consistency there. This movie you have it's in it's in uh, anamorphic widescreen in Asteroid City in color. It's in four by three when it's uh, the stage play. And but we'll there's also all that in the spoilers. Two scenes where randomly, for no goddamn reason, when they cut to, it's just, it's just like basically B-roll of people reacting to things. And it's in this weird aspect ratio that's not quite four by three. It's just pillar boxed slightly for no fucking reason. And that 
pissed me right the fuck off. I, I actually got up from my couch and walked to get some water because yeah. I was like, no, there's no reason for that. That is visual inconsistency. Yep. Um, oh, man. We're, I'm glad we're going down this path because I have some more. I have plenty more. Um, number two. He will, th- I guess, number three at this point. Uh, Wes Anderson in this movie loves to throw shit on opposite ends of the frame. So my eyes have to fucking go do the splits if I want to see what's going on. And you're like, oh, it's like you, it's got replay value. It's got, you know, you want to explore the frame. No, my eyes, I get eye strain. Like when I say this movie is hard to watch, I'm like, this is physically like my <laughs> eyes get tired watching this movie. Um, he does. And, and he'll do the same thing because he's he's also walked into the third dimension on this one. The, the planimetric composition is no longer enough. We have to do very, very obvious foreground, background, split depth. It's like, okay, you maybe definitely it's because it's a play, so like, oh, there's a foreground and background. The but man, when one character is an inch from the camera and the other guy is like yards away and they <laughs> do that for extended periods of time, I'm like, I'm, please, ease up, buddy. He created a very good sense of depth, but it was used for frivolity like it had no no impact yeah yeah um and <laughs> the last it's... the last thing that get that got my goat oh yeah, I, I was saying i i so i pulled it up because i wanted to just like skip around certain parts to see to refresh myself as you were saying that about the depth one in the very first few minutes in the movie eight minutes in the movie as they walk into the diner it's a long diner and they walk down to the one end of the bar. The camera pans out. The old lady at the one end of the table, still in like focus. And then it's like they're inches away from the camera on the other end. And it's a long yeah. shot of his family down the diner. And then there's like a dude in the corner. And like I, I kind of like that joke. I always like that I concept of like uh, there's a guy who's just in the movie on the corners of every scene. I like that. Yeah. But still, you're like you have this big frame and you're like what am i actually yeah. supposed to look at and that's a kind of a key of it even like classic art which you know or older art styles is like you want to lead the viewer into the frame and draw their focus to a point take them kind of hopefully on a path around the the frame that you've built and then lead them out you know so that they're not like confused and or Searching because you have those frames there for three. You know he holds on these shots for a while, but they're only there still for like three seconds max. And I have to figure out what is what he wanted me to look at in those three seconds. And he's not. Yeah. It's do, it does not make the job easy. It's like playing I Spy on speed running. Um, and with that, the last one that got my goat was the whip pants. My man put ball bearings on his camera and said, "All right, we're going nuts." <laughs> um, there's one scene where yeah. they, they kind of land. I guess it's supposed to get a sense of immediately tell you everything that's in the town, but also convey like the disorienting nature. Maybe I'm going to give him that. Um, but still it's a four <laughs> right turn whip pan, uh, to like a weird, slow, fast, mo spin around back to where our characters are. And I go, stop. <laughs> what the fuck was that? There's also, uh, another like that like, almost it's like my feels man is playing um eye of the beholder like he's that almost feels like in 
in in tune with his typical visual style because it's everything's very angular. He's very big on right angles. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that was weird is there's a scene where uh, all the smart kids are sitting around a campfire or whatever playing a game, and it like keeps flicking to each one in like a a close up shot, and it's rotating around in the circle continuously like that 70s show but on steroids much closer to the camera much less context for the background and the problem with this is not only is it not the most pleasant thing to watch but like the positioning of the different kids is not consistent in terms of like the z-axis all the way around so you have one guy and like just because of their features, right? Like the one of the main kids has a huge no- oh, nose. Oh, Woodrow, yeah, he's the he's yeah. like the son of the main actor guy. Yeah, yeah. No, no offense to him. You've got a schnoz on you. Right. It's okay. I'm sure he was, I mean, he was definitely picked for that role because Wes Anderson loves that kind of character. He loves that kind of like image of his characters to emphasize, yeah. like, oh, they're a quirky kind of, you know, they're they're a a late bloomer, an ugly duckling who hasn't found their their uh, their own style yet. They're kind of awkward teenager, yeah. so he picks you know that kind of cast. So so he's got this honking schnoz, and the tip of his nose is like millimeters from the camera, and then it whip pans to uh, an Asian kid who's got very much smaller features. So he seems like he's a million miles away from the camera by comparison, and you're just like, what the fuck? Like. <laughs> yeah. I my, I settled into it like around halfway through. I think he I think he like leads you know he pulls back on on all that stuff around the middle of the movie. I could be in, wrong. I could have just been like desensitized. But man, it is a I, hard movie to start the, out. The on. movie did start off very meta and very um, self indulgent, and I think it did, or at least maybe I think we were just used to it. After a certain point, so things felt less jarring. Um, but you know, I, I did, I did like, I think the concept of the movie. It's just the execution was also a lot to take in. I think the execution, along with the concept of the movie, was just a lot for the average viewer. Um, and and. It, you know, it could. Who knows? Maybe this is the the artful piece that we're all missing. But the fact that it's like a a play within a play, um, right? And so I and guess it, this is good time to talk spoilers. Guess, um, yeah. To talk I about mean, the central sure. premise, the construction of the film. Um, I'd say if you're a Wes Anderson fan, go watch it. Whatever. Um, if you're a middling Wes Anderson fan, this is like he he goes. If, yeah. really dips into his into his pool here. Uh, if you're a fan of his... Black and White Willem Dafoe. Sure. Yeah. If, you, if you're a fan of his visual style, uh, you will not be left disappointed by this movie. Uh, if you want anything more out of it, uh, I would steer clear. Because, I mean, like, I... Jake touched upon the concept of this movie. I don't necessarily know that I enjoy the concept that they landed on for this movie. The initial promise of Wes Anderson does like 1950s science fiction 
had me very intrigued at first. I would have loved to see a movie that was more in line with that kind of idea. What we got was a whole was like basically two movies that did not play off each other at all and only hurt your ability to get invested in the characters and stories yeah. of each. Like you know oh, like you needed it. to pick one. Just, like pick yeah. pick the concept of a play within a play and dive into that or pick the concept of the uh, this play, this Asteroid City mm-hmm. movie um which would have been like yeah. an hour long. It's a very short movie. It's uh, a <laughs> yeah. And, and they could have had a plot to it. An hour and a half. Um, it's an hour and 45 minutes, but it feels so much longer because for the first, like, 55 minutes of this movie, and I'm not exaggerating, like, nothing happens. It's a whole lot of exposition, a whole lot of people coming on the camera, spewing out Wes Anderson word salads and leaving. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> there is a like, lot that yeah. they have to cover, like, the in the... In the again, this is... Because this is the story of Asteroid City... It's to set up the fact of why are they in the desert? What is Ashford City? What's there? Why is the military there? Who are all these different characters? There's a lot of characters. There's a lot of people to follow too. Mm-hmm. There's the five cast of thousands. There's the five brainiacs. There's the and the, it's a really strong cast yeah. that is yeah. not done service by the script or really the direction. There's the the five brain. There's five or six brainiacs. There's the the military leader there's the dad of the parents i guess that have their yeah, side yeah the parents are kind of one group of characters yeah. it's all in like cliques they're kind of all in their own cliques and their arcs progress as a clique there's like a, a school teacher and her class and then a group of cowboys um and the steve carell hotel motor court manager yes okay um not to derail the conversation here or break anyone's flow. Is the fucking cop chase shootout thing that kept going through there a reference to something? (laughs) Yeah. Because they did it like four fucking times and I had no idea what the Uh, fuck it was about. They never explained on it. They never elaborated on it. Let me see if there's anything in like the trivia. um, While, While Jake's looking at that. Um, here's my bo- my last word before we go in the spoilers. It's my spoiler-free spoiler uh, <laughs> summary of this. Um, this movie has convinced me that Wes Anderson is maybe the only director who could do justice to an adaptation of Danielewski's or Danielewski's uh, House of Leaves. That's that's my that's my byline here. That's my that's my uh, <laughs> quote line. Um, what does that mean? Stick around. Um, yeah, all right, let's talk spoilers. So the movie opens with Brian Cranston um, introducing this play that's Asteroid City. So you're like, okay, this is going to be the framing device. It's a play, right, sure. Which, which he has done before in like the French Dispatch. It was French Dispatch, for those who didn't see it, it was three, uh, it's like almost an anthology. It was three kind of vignette stories connected by the framing device of a newspaper. And that's kind of what I thought this was going to be, sort of, except he explains it very weirdly. Yeah, so he he explains a lot about this, and supposedly what we're watching is the first, like, read-through rehearsal 
of the play, but what you're watching in Asteroid City is like a lot more realized than that would have been. And it keeps cutting back to like, when you cut back to the, the play, it's just a lot of like vignettes of them behind the scenes, like talking about how they're confused about what's going on in the play that is Asteroid City, which is the movie that you're watching. So, like, the if the meta commentary is that it's a confusing movie, it's supposed to be confusing, like, that does not itself yeah. create substance, right. right? You know, doing a big meta joke like that isn't a, substi- a substi- yeah. substantive so, thing to build your movie upon. Yeah. So, in, in how, I'll talk about House of Leaves for a little bit. I, I have not finished it yet, but I'm very far the way through. Uh, I say that because this movie is constructed of nesting diegetic frames um, that are, I guess, interplay with each other a little bit. Um, but in House of Leaves, that is also made up of many diegetic, nesting diegetic frames because it's about it's a review of a book written by a guy who's reading film notes of a guy who saw a movie about a thing that happened. Yes. And Phil Collins watched a dude watch a dude drown, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but the thing in that uh, book is that there's, like, a malevolent force that seems to, like, flow back out of that. So, like, people who watched the... The guy who watched the movie went insane, and the guy who read the notes of the guy who watched the movie starts to go insane. And the editor is, like, catching it, and, you know, it's sort of, like, flowing back out. So they're all linked in that way. This movie does not do stuff like that. They do yeah. a little bit of commentary and they do a couple thingies where, but it needed more cohesion. And they're fairly like discreet. A lot of them are throwaway scenes. Like a, a big example of a throwaway scene is when they they introduce Jason Schwartzman, uh, his like not his character Augie in the play, but like the actor that he is supposed to be like in the real world, and he shows up at the director's house, played by Ed Norton. He's looking very old with ice cream. And then he does a scene and they're like, oh, yeah, that's it's brilliant. And then they make out and it's like never touched upon again. Like, I don't think we even really see Ed Norton <laughs> after that because yeah, then Adrian like Brody shows up. It's not punchline. It's not used in like carryover way. It just really is just throwaway thing. Yes, Jay. The only thing I could find about the car, the cop chase, um, was he he uses his uh, more camera movements to show gags in the background. So it's uh, like, oh, gags. oh, look, a cop chase. What hilarious. That, that's it. I mean, if the gag is that they're just going in circles doing this, I mean, that's kind of funny, but they never showed yeah, that. It just happens a few times. Let's just say it had me gagging. <laughs> um, to I guess to go back to our earlier point, though, um, the all the other issue with it is that like the whole play frame, the the story of the play, is like shown. It it gets like fifteen minutes in the movie. Yeah, it does not get a lot of screen time, and like there was no, it doesn't. Like, there's no, like, narrative through line through it. It's just, like, it's 
it's basic setup of like, oh, how we assembled this crew and, you know, some of their interactions getting to be in the play, like the scene where uh, the kid with the giant schnoz uh, and ScarJo talk and he gets promoted from being the understudy to being the actual actor because she would rather work with him. Um, and then by the end of the the play story, she's in a different play. And I guess they, her and uh, Jason Schwartzman had a scene cut, and they described no, I that, that was scene. Margot Robbie. Yeah, that was. Oh, was that Margot Robbie? Yeah. Oh, my bad. And I, I do, I did kind of like that because, you know, it's almost a way of like, so he leaves the the real world of the play, mm-hmm. um, and his the character Augie misses his dead wife, um, and this is a, a like a weird kind of analogous symbolic way of him getting to see. His his wife in the the beyond world, yeah. where the actor who plays Augie gets to see the actor who would have played his dead wife. Yeah, right. That's kind of what that okay. said to me. Yeah, that um, makes a little more sense, but still, like it, it that's, that's kind like of jumps out of, of nowhere in the movie. And it, it's weird though, right? Because like his his character is you know misses his wife and whatnot, but like we've already established that the the actor in this play right, has no romantic entanglements <laughs> to a woman. Yeah. Is that like, and I don't know, is that supposed to be played as like a gag or a joke? Um, I, I don't know. But like the, the main thing I remember about that scene is, you know, they're describing the scene in detail that got cut and he's like, it, it still just doesn't make any sense. And they're like, well, you just have to keep telling the story. I'm like, and is like, that is that the, the takeaway from this movie? Like just keep, throwing shit out there and and hope something sticks or maybe it's that time at the at the very end of the film where all the characters turn like towards the camera and start marching at the camera and like start fucking chanting about yeah like, i can't wait what up the fuck was that go to sleep i'm like no this is not my sleep erasion phase <laughs> you can, i don't want to be activated right now <laughs> Yeah, and that just comes out of yeah, nowhere. Like, there's, it's like, there's a great like, scene. Is, again, is that the theme? How is that the theme of your movie? Yeah, there's a great scene with Willem Dafoe, who does some of his best work uh, in monochrome. Yeah, <laughs> consistently. We've, we've, we came to that conclusion this morning. Yeah, um, he, the lighthouse, see... the Northman. That movie was in color, but his scene was in black and white. Um, this movie, this movie and presumably. Uh, the one where he's trapped in an art studio. There's got to be a scene in black and white where... There's got to uh, be. He just he... goes fucking nuts. And that led me to uh, have my, my greatest masterstroke on, on the show. We've pitched many movies and many actors in roles. But Hollywood, you can have this one for free. Cast um, Willem Dafoe as the giver in The Giver. <laughs> and just... Let him let him go to town. Can, unleash can, him like they unleashed Fred Willard in Best in yeah. Show. <laughs> like we can forget the Jeff Bridges one that they made a little while ago. I already have. <laughs> we can forget about that. We, the The receiver of memory can hold that one for us. Let's get a new Giver movie. Um, deep cut Giver jokes out here. That's the level we're working on. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 about as approachable as this movie. <laughs> yeah, I I just I really don't have a lot to say about this movie other than it is 
incredibly passive mm-hmm. and disjointed. Like, um, you know, my girlfriend, who's a big Wes Anderson fan, was really disappointed by it. And, like, she she was echoing my sentiments, you know, as we got further and further into the movies. Like, is something going to happen here? <laughs> yeah, like, the, the by-the-numbers plot is characters show up for, a, a, like, a, a space camp dealio. Junior stargazer thing where yep. they show off their inventions. They're all super smart, so their inventions are really good. Which don't doesn't have a bearing on the on the plot, but no, other than they're smart, so they could break the military quarantine that comes into effect when an alien comes and grabs the rock in ast- the asteroid of Asteroid City um, to and bring the it stop back. motion. That was yeah. the funniest thing out of the entire movie and uh, funniest thing I've seen in a while. I did get it did send me <laughs> when he posed with it. <laughs> For the camera. Because <laughs> you also, you know, you have the entire entirety of this movie being in, like, no CGI practical effects. And then you mm. see what we, what we, not, what like we know this. later is Jeff Goldblum's character. Well, I mean, like, they do the whole credits in the front of the movie. They, like, motorboat boat through yeah. all the actors. And I saw Jeff Goldblum as the alien. So I knew it was, like... Jeff Goldblum, but like I'm watching this clearly like claymation <laughs> stop motion alien do its thing. I'm like, how is this played by Jeff Goldblum? But then it's in yeah. another scene in the other movie where he's just hanging like with his alien make- costume partially on. He's I like, I, well, I think it means, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Goldblum is an alien. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, but yeah, you had you had him, the alien come down and just. Kind of pick up the asteroid and pose with it because the main character is a, a photographer. He gets the picture and they that ends up getting uh, leaked. And it comes out. They always and come then out. For like a, a blip goes by after after a little while. The military gets mad. And then all of a sudden, Asteroid City turns into like an Area 51, like um, like a carnival festival thing and attraction. Park, attraction. Yeah. So everybody wants to go there to see the alien. And that lasts all of 30 seconds. And that last, like, the, the, it was so inconsequential. Honestly, if you blink, you'll miss yeah. it. <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like it should have been bigger. I don't know. Um, like that would have been a fun turn for this movie to take. Yeah. Which is probably why I didn't do it because, like, that would have been something happening and like an action in the movie having broader consequences on the he, environment. He doesn't want you to pay attention the to set. Asteroid City, the play. He wants you to pay attention to the real world and what that means symbolically. I guess. Uh, maybe. Um, it's the, I think as we talk through this, I'm coming to the conclusion that I think the, the biggest problem is that he took all his, his really... Th- he took all the things that he wanted in this movie and front-loaded them into the beginning and uh, the, in the setting of the, the set, <laughs> the set of the setting. Um and he put all his his uh, camera tricks in there, and he put all his character quirks in there, and he put all his his stuff and just chucked it all in there, and it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And other yeah. Wes Anderson movies really do have characters that go places and do things, and and in this one, I feel like the only character who had an arc 
was maybe Augie and and maybe Woodrow because he loves to do the awkward teen romance. Like I don't know why yeah. that through line was preserved so nicely. Yeah, that he's like we want I want the entire two awkward teens who uh, you know who talk very flatly and matter of factly falling in love. I it's like yeah, it's he's playing the hits. He is playing his hits. It is. I haven't seen all his movies, but I've seen a bunch of them, including his first ever movie, which is a bit of a trip if you've never seen Bottle Rocket, because there's like some hints of Wes Anderson's like style in there, but it's not. It doesn't look like a Wes Anderson movie, so it's kind of a, a weird trip to see that. Um, but like it's this is the weakest of all his movies. The criticism I hear often of Wes Anderson movies is that they're they're pointless. Like the stories are are often not of grave consequence. Right. Um, He's trying to evoke that slice of life kind of which feel, which isn't inherently bad. And like I don't think it's really fair criticism of a lot of his movies, but this one. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, bud. Yep. I I watch this movie and I just I long for going back to watching Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou and my I think it's my favorite Wes Anderson gag uh, in all of his movies is um, Steve played by uh, Bill Murray. He's like uh, he goes to the assistant. He's like, "Fetch me a Campari. You know how I like it." And <laughs> He fetches him like a pint glass of Campari, <laughs> the notoriously bitter aperitif that's like a slog for most for most inexperienced drinkers to get through like a shot of it. Oh, oh no, I was thinking of Aperol. I'm like, well, it's it's, it's in that same same vibe. Think Aperol. Aperol but, is very sweet though. Okay, yeah, think Aperol, but like a lot more dry. Yeah, I've, um, I've I've had Campari before. It's yeah. in a Negroni. It's um, it's such a great gag because like if you drank it, you know how it feels, and it's it's like kind of a reference joke, and also Bill Murray delivers it excellently. I'm like, that's my favorite Wes Anderson joke. Yeah, there's no Bill Murray in this movie. That's probably why it was was no. It good. was uh, because he got COVID uh, weeks before shooting. And uh, I see. Uh, is Tom Hanks his villain? No, is that why he had so uh, little to do. Actually, <laughs> um, Steve Carell. He was supposed to be Steve Steve Carell's. Oh, character. I see. That oh, actually, that's interesting. That actually tracks really well because I felt like Steve Carell was doing his Steve Carell voice more than a Wes Anderson character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I could I could see Bill Murray in that role, but I think Steve Carell was was. A good part yeah, of this movie. Yeah, he brought his own energy to it. He could buy a plot and, of land um, in, a, in a vending machine for forty four. That's the thing. <laughs> Ten dollars and quarters. <laughs> yeah. The um, the characters, the the actors, the actual actors, um, give really good, like really enjoyable performances. Mm-hmm. Like I liked, like I like Scarlett Johansson in this. She does, you know, the monologues she's delivering are like, it's a lot. <laughs> It's just a word. It's pretty dump, trite too. Which, yeah, on its own, I feel like I, I thought about this too. Is like some of the dialogue in this, I'm sure a lot of people take it on because it's tough to do as an actor. Like it's a flex to like, yeah. think about doing like the the admiral's monologue or the general's monologue when he gives the speech at the the presentation. Like 
I'm mm-hmm. sure he was like punching air after he did that one, after he got the take on that one. Because that's like the one shot and it's like rapid fire. I have to go through this whole monologue in like three minutes and it's like 500 words or whatever, uh, however many yeah. words. It's like, yeah, I could see how you, you want to do it. So you could say, look at me. This was me in this scene doing this thing. Um, and to that level, they take what they get and they do it as well as they can. Yeah, but like I said, um, a a great cast is kind of portray, portrayed by a ho-hum script and uninspired. Well, I don't want to call the direction uninspired because it's, it's Wes Anderson, you know, doing his, his Would thing. Would be controversial to call this safe? No, I don't think so. It, it didn't take really any risks because it wasn't really about anything well, it took, like, i guess it took one big risk and it didn't pan out oh yeah i okay yeah i suppose that's fair um but i don't know that he would have seen that as a risk i think that's kind of just uh how he wanted to tell it i don't know i don't i don't know if i want to call it poor execution it's just this was a very weak outing for him and it's not a particularly entertaining movie it's not going to win wes anderson and any new fans mm-hmm. no. and I think I would I would hesitate to recommend it to anyone but the most diehard Wes Anderson fan I know. Yeah, I would say let this be at most your you know at earliest like your fourth Wes Anderson film. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't bring someone who hasn't seen it into this because like, uh, I'd start with Grand Budapest Hotel because that's the most approachable. Yep. Um, then Life I Aquatic. would I would say Life Aquatic. Um, I would have said Moonrise Kingdom, but Life Aquatic is good too. Uh, then Moonrise Kingdom, uh, and Royal Tannenbaums. Yeah, and I think that'll that'll get you get you a good flavor. Mm-hmm. I think I think my list would be, uh, I agree. So like uh, Grand Budapest, I would say Life Aquatic, and then I would say uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. I didn't. I've never seen that. One. That w- that was a Wes Anderson one, right? I'm not. Yes. Okay. Yes, and, and that's the reason it looks so weird because he wanted real animal fur, and they're like, "Well, you can't do that because then it's going to rustle in every scene." He's like, "I don't care. I want that," <laughs> and that's why the movie <laughs> looks so fucking okay. weird. Send it. Yeah. So I guess that's that sums it up um, as as best we can. Yeah. yeah. Um. There you have it, and there it is. Uh, that's going to do it for episode 375 of the Sounds podcast. We'll be n- back next week with something, some some shit. Um, but until then, be well, stay safe, and party like it's 1995. Peace. Bye-bye.